Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 8, and the last time the message was titled Alliances, Alliances. You know, you can take that word and substitute politicking in there. Um, Christians do that too sometimes, and you've got to be careful with that. Who are we aligning ourselves with? How much are we putting our faith and trust in them? Uh, because our faith and trust needs to be ultimately with God. This morning, very similar, the title is Man, Man, question mark, or Emmanuel, which literally is translated God with us. So that's my attempt to be witty this morning, okay? Man or Emmanuel. We're going to see that in six parts. And uh, if we could put up the map while the map is being put up. It's really been a blessing going through Isaiah because the last three Sundays somebody has come up to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It proves that the Word of God is powerful. Uh, and, you know, some ministries are foregoing the Old Testament because they feel it's not relevant, it's not going to draw in the crowds, but God's Word is able to save. This book was written, the events that happened some 2,750 years ago, and we can make parallels and we can look at the, our society today and hopefully take some, you know, some, some pointers from that. So if we look at the map, and I'll go through this briefly because I have gone through it before, but this is where it all took place. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. This is the continent of Africa over here. This is what we know today as the Arabian Peninsula. You have uh, Iraq and Iran over here. You have Turkey up here. And basically what happened is uh, Israel is in this area. Back in the day, Jerusalem was in Judah, which was the southern kingdom, two tribes of Judah. Israel had split into two kingdoms after King Solomon. The ten in the north, which Samaria was the capital there, and the two in the south in Judah. And then you had Syria, which is still Syria, capital of Damascus. And then you had the up-and-coming Assyrian Empire, which was in this area, and the Babylonians here came later. So I have to set the stage because what's going on? Well, there's a political situ situation going on, and if I don't explain it, you'd be saying, well, I don't understand the context. This is the context. Uh, you, what you have is this Syria and Israel, strange bedfellows, alliances. They team up because they're trying to repel the Assyrian Empire who's growing in strength and power, and they're scared. Right? Israel's not trusting in God. They're jumping on board with Syria. And they try to force uh, a, a three-nation alliance with the southern kingdom, but the southern kingdom doesn't want any part of that. Now remember, these are all God's people. What's their problem in the southern kingdom? Before you go thinking, well, they, they're doing the right thing. No, they're not. Because what they do secretly is they make a, a deal with Assyria over here to get these two guys off their back. So that's basically what's going on. And listen, you point to the map today, point to any region of the world, and, and this is what happens. You know, this politicking, this, these alliances, and a lot of nations today are not trusting God like they didn't trust back then. So let's jump in, starting with verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said to me, now this is the prophet Isaiah, take a large scroll 
and write on it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Then I went to the prophetess, Isaiah, his wife, the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I did practice that, by the way. <laughs> for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, or mommy and daddy, the riches of Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, and the spoil of Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So don't confuse Syria with Assyria, completely different nations. The words were sometimes similar, but there was really no connection whatsoever. So one out of six is the sign of Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So if those of you are here this morning and you have a, a grudge with your parents with the name you gave you, they gave you, at least they didn't call you Maher Shalal Hashbaz. But, <laughs> but Isaiah did name his sons. God told them, name your son this, name your son that, because his sons were supposed to be living object lessons to the nation. And their names had meaning to them. Maher Shalal Hashbaz means speed the spoil, hasten the prey. And what it means basically is before the child could say his first words of mommy and daddy, you know, speed the spoil, hasten the prey, Assyria was going to come and neutralize the northern kingdom of Israel and its alliance with Syria. So basically, this little boy was an object lesson to the southern kingdom. Don't be afraid. God's got this under control because they were terrified. Here's where the problem comes in. And it's amazing how you can make the parallels today. The people of Judah or the southern kingdom started trusting in Assyria instead of trusting in God. Right? Instead of trusting in the deliverer, they trusted or they gave glory to the method of delivery. That's like today, if, uh, and I've had a few surgeries. I've, thank God I've had some good doctors. I had some great foot surgery. I can actually run again. It was like all kinds of problems. I won't go into it. But uh, it was a, the, the surgeon was amazing. I actually was referred to him by somebody in our fellowship. Uh, and I never said, boy, that's some great scalpel you got there. I said, doc, that's some really nice work. By the way, I've been praying for you. To, you would do a good job. And I always, when I go for surgeries and such, I always try to witness to the people on staff. But the bottom line is that, you know, even today, what are we giving glory to? You know, a, a financial blessing, a political alliance, or the God who delivers us? And it's so easy to look at the tangible and jump right into giving that glory or thankfulness when, remember, it's God who directs our paths. So something to keep in mind. A few points here. Isaiah's sons amazingly had, th their names had implications, th their translations on four kingdoms, four nations around them. And if you look at that map, I mean, that was a really vast area. Amazing how God could use a child to make something amazing that you would see the kid playing in the, in the, in the street. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Come in and wash your hands before dinner, you know? Speed the spoil, hasten the prey. Speed the spoil, hasten the prey. And the people were like, oh yeah, yeah. Isaiah said it was going to be okay. Why? Because God told them that. That's the beauty of God. We're going to get into some rough territory in the Old Testament. You're going to say, oh, wow, this, this is hard to digest. But you have to put it in the right perspective. 
You know, we mess everything up as people, but God is the great fixer if we'll have that. Here's the solution. You've sinned, let me send my son into the world to die for you. You've, you've messed things up, let me, let me do repentance. Your marriage is falling apart. If you just, the two of you just follow me and trust me, I can, I can bring it back together and make it fruitful. So that's, that's our God. Isaiah's wife is called the prophetess, um, and that begs the question, what is a prophet and what is a prophetess? Well, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, this is interesting. Now we're, going, we're jumping from the Old Testament to the New Testament, different dispensation, a different time for God's people. And he says in verse 1, God who at various times in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. This was a common way that God would speak to the people. He would select men or women and he would speak to them and they would give the message to the populace has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, meaning Jesus Christ, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So Jesus, when He came, fulfilled three offices, prophet, priest, and king. No man, no person ever filled those offices. They weren't allowed to. So this is what we have when we look at prophets and prophetesses. Now, Isaiah, if you'll notice, took witnesses. He took a few people. Because remember, prophecy is one of those things that you could say afterwards, oh, I said these things were going to happen. And people are like, when did you say that? Who saw that? Oh, I was, trust me, it was, it was no, no. What Isaiah did was he wrote it in big letters. He wrote it on a scroll. He, he took witnesses. He, didn't even, he wasn't even with his wife yet to conceive when he said, I'm going to have a son. This is what God told me to name him. And my son is going to be an object lesson to this nation that don't worry about the impending invasion. God's going to deal with it. So this is, this is what's going on. It's pretty fantastic. Now there are so-called prophets today that have come they, and they've done this. I'm I'm a prophet. You look at Muhammad in the 7th century. You look at Joseph Smith. And what did they do? They did the stuff in secret. And then they came out and said, oh, everybody, listen, I was visited by an angel and all these things happened. Who's there to see it? No, it was just me, but I, I, I promise you. And they're all over the place. There's hundreds of them, but no witnesses. Remember, this, cha- this book has 66 chapters. And I got news for you folks. God's own people didn't like Isaiah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the leap and say the majority of God's people probably didn't like him. Why? Because he's saying, we live in a decadent culture. Listen, I've said that from the pulpit. A lot of pastors say that from the pulpit. And it's not received very well. But honestly, if we open our eyes, we can see this. The problem was God's own people weren't doing the right thing. So believe me, if he was wrong once, they'd be getting rid of him. They'd stone him to death. But he was right, and he was right, and he was right because God gave him message, the message of the future. Near prophecy, far from prophecy. So he made it all the way to 66 chapters, even with a populace that was not really thrilled with what he had to say. Continuing on, verse 5. The Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shaloah that flow softly and rejoice in resin and in Ramalia's son. Those are the two heads. The head of Syria was resin. And Ramalia's son was the head of Israel. 
Now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, or the mighty river Euphrates, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory. He will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. So he's, there was a, there's an imagery, a metaphor of an of overflowing river, well, really the Euphrates, to the people of Assyria and their armies. So wherever, you know, in, there were certain times of the year where the Euphrates would just overflow everything. Everything would get flooded. So he's, it's amazing. The metaphors that are used of the army of Assyria who were in that area that were going to overflow, even go into Judah. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So the Israelites' problem was, again, they were trusting Syria. The Judahites' problem was they were trusting us, Syria, who eventually turns on them. Not not very good friend there. And folks, in, in every culture, in our culture, we have to make the choice. Will we trust in people, organizations, institutions, or are we going to trust in God? The soft waters of Shiloah. Shiloah, if you follow the etymology of the word, it was Shiloah, it became uh, Shiloh, and then in the New Testament, it was also understood as Siloam. Remember Jesus, right? The waters of Siloam. It was also used as a metaphor for the coming Messiah. And, and this is not uncommon, that the names start to morph through transliterations. The uh, river Potomac in the United States used to be called the Powtowmac. It actually had an Indian name. And a lot of the names were shortened to make it easier to say. So you see these morphology in words and, and locations over time. Basically what God is saying is his governance is the soft waters of Shiloah versus the strong and tumultuous waters of the Euphrates River or Assyria's governance. Or today, well, who's the Assyrians, <laughs> right? It's a remote part of Iraq today. Those people are gone. Uh, remnants are only in museums. But today we can also look at the institutions of man, the secular humanist institutions of man, especially when you look at the global agenda. Who are we going to follow? Our God or unpredictable people and institutions? You know, today in American culture, I have to say that, you know, I look at the news only to reinforce some things in my mind that the institutions of man are shown for their weakness, their unpredictability, their disloyalty, their capriciousness. You know, so there's a lot of things going on today, right? There's this big Hollywood scandal with Harvey Weinstein. I can tell you folks, that's only the tip of the iceberg. More people, powerful people have been named there's lawsuits, there's, you know, in Hollywood, they're, they're running for cover. They're trying to do damage control. More people are coming up saying, I was a victim of that. It's all starting to come apart. A few actors and actresses called uh, Harvey Weinstein, they literally, literally called him a god because they won't submit to God. My question to them is, how's your God working out for you now? You know what I'm saying? Man or Emmanuel, God with us? You have a, a media that every time you turn on the channel, they're trying to further and further divide us. You find that some stories aren't true when you vet them. Can you trust them? Politicians in both parties less and less represent us. In New Jersey, they're taxing us to death. You know, I can tell you over 14 years how many people in this church I've had to say goodbye to because they just couldn't stay in New Jersey anymore. 
Are we going to trust in those institutions? You know, I describe what's going on in society as an, as, as an infected wound. It's a wound, it's a gaping wound, now it's getting infected. It's red, it's tender, it's warm. Pus is coming out of it and it's all starting to ooze out. And it needs to, there needs to be some painful processes to get rid of all that infection to get it out of the wound. If you've just had breakfast, I apologize. But <laughs> that's my, my idea. I see what's going on in society and it's like, if you don't trust God, who do you trust? And those institutions that you trust, how is that working out for you? How long is it before those institutions or those people let you down? I'm speaking to those today that don't know the Lord yet. Because I had to come into, the, I had to make that decision in my 20s. Because I was like, I, the, the idea of God was interesting to me, but I kept delaying it because I kept trying something else. And eventually I came forward and I just received Christ and then I said to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? But folks, this morning, are we going to follow the gentle waters of Shiloh or the rough waters of a godless, secular, humanist society? Verse 7 and 8, the Euphrates water was overflowing, coming up to the neck, but not the head of Judah. So in other words, the Assyrians, after they mopped up um, Damascus in Syria, 734 to 732 B.C., they go through the northern kingdom of Israel um, like, like a flood, uh, start mopping up the northern villages, the northern towns, taking over. Eventually, 724 down to 721 B.C., they break through the walls of Samaria, their capital, neutralize them. Judah is rejoicing in the southern kingdom until they realize that they're not stopping at their borders. Now they're coming further south. They have a bloodlust for power and for gold and silver and, and conquest, and they start coming further south. And those in the southern kingdom are like, uh-oh, I thought they were our friends. So they start to overflow down into Judah, but they, they stop at the neck. They, they try to besiege 701 B.C., the siege of Jerusalem, Hezekiah is, is the king at that time. He prays to God fervently. And God, in one night, takes out, slays through the angel of the Lord, 185,000 of Assyria's army. Okay, and you can find this in Isaiah 37. You can find it at 2 Kings 19. Now, here's an interesting point. Did you know that... Now, this is... Let's do this again for the... And I'd love to do this. We have, we're, we're an open church. Anyone's allowed to walk in here from anywhere. And we have some that maybe are a little skeptical. So what happens is this siege of Sennacherib of Assyria to Jerusalem, 701 B.C., right? The angel of the Lord takes out 185,000 soldiers. A few years after that, nobody really hears about Assyria anymore. Coincidence? I think not. You can find it in your encyclopedias. You can find it in the scripture. Sennacherib, the leader of the, of the pagan army, goes back home and they assassinate him. You know, the monarchs in those days ruled absolutely. They could be cruel. They could do whatever they want. They were the king. But there was something about a king who failed his people and then went back home. You, you read of a lot of assassinations. It happened in Europe. It happened in, you know, the Near East, the Far East. Very interesting situations that happened. Now, a few years from this point, the Babylonians rose to power. Coincidence? I don't think so. Verse 8, O Emmanuel, or O God with us. Great contrast. Great contrast. Back then, remember, this is pre-Christ. 
back then, Emmanuel, God with us, the Judahites were thinking, oh, thank God, God the Father is with us. He's sparing Jerusalem from a horrible situation. He's protecting Jerusalem. Why? He's preserving the line of Judah for God the Son to come, O Emmanuel. And we see Emmanuel stated three times between this chapter and the last chapter. And the last chapter is the prophecy of Emmanuel of Jesus Christ. And it shows the trichotomous nature of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Pretty neat. God also showed the Judahites how futile their alliance with the bloodthirsty Assyrians was because they turned on them. You know, and I, I would just say to today's society, who do we want to put our trust in? God? Or Trump? Or Clinton? Or the government? Or, again, pick your, pick your names. You know, <laughs> laugh and fill in the blanks. And people do this. Oh, I, I voted for this guy. I voted for this lady. You know, oh, the government's going to, you know, really. Think about it. These are just frail, fallen people. Are we going to allow them to rule our, our lives? Are we going to trust in them? Or are we going to trust in Emmanuel? Verse 9, we continue. Isaiah goes on, Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us, or Emmanuel. Again, that phrase, you, that phrase is used interchangeable. Emmanuel is that Hebrew, Hebrew word that means God is with us. So three out of six is the warning to the outside Gentile nations. Isaiah is basically saying, and his word traveled. You know, they, they took scrolls, they copied them, they sent them out to different regions. So Isaiah was saying, listen, for those of you Gentile nations, you know, you Assyrians, you Syrians, you people on the outside, you, you all want to come in and invade Jerusalem and steal and plunder, but you can, you can have your plans, your life of evil, but you're going to run up against the living God because he's not going to have it. And I have to tell you that man is a bloodthirsty creature. I follow overseas news, and I think sometimes in America we... We're kind of in an American bubble. We're safe. We're surrounded by two oceans and north and south, friendly nations. So we're, we have a, a different mindset. But most of the world is in turmoil. Most of the world is in chaos. I gave you the statistics uh, about a month ago of how many active wars are going on, how many active genocides. Man is a bloodthirsty creature, hell-bent on power and dominance. You give any man absolute power and watch how he behaves, or woman, either one. I had a, a, a really great conversation with a sister in the Lord recently who said, you know, I'm concerned when somebody who doesn't know the Bible, and, and this is true, folks, this is my, my difficult job. Somebody comes into the church, they start reading the scripture, and they're like, oh my goodness, this is, there's war and there's killings. And, right, but understand, this isn't God, right? What God does is he manages the carnage. And I always say this, God is the glue that holds society together. You show me any society that's pushed God out and watch what happens. See, what we can do is we can look at the Scripture and say, God is doing this. This is the Bible. No, 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 no. When you get your context right, you realize that God gave love. He gave free will. He gave freedom. He gave perfection. It was only through the rebellion and sin of mankind, men and women, that everything started to come apart. So that glue, that God who holds relationships together, who holds uh, people together, communities, um, 
it, when, when that's removed or, or pushed out, we don't want God anymore. Watch what happens to society. And I think, I think that's what we're dealing with here. I think that's what we're dealing with. I think it's what we're seeing. You know, and I think that God again, He's managing it. It could it could completely become an anarchic situation. And there's people today that are calling for anarchy. That's the weirdest things, you know. You know, they wear the Birkenstocks and they have the Starbucks coffee and, and anarchy with their Apple products. You realize what anarchy looks like in a in a nation? Everything's gone. There's no more iPhones, there's no more uh, you know, outlets to buy your store and your food. Things get really nasty really fast. And that's Satan's design. God's design is to try to hold things together. But again, it's our free will. Will we allow him to do that or not? Again, it's, it's all perspective. Verse 11, we continue. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Now, and that's the, that's the thing. Pastors deal with this. It's peer pressure. Pressure from the congregation. We want to hear things that make us feel good. We, we don't want you to say anything too convicting. Isaiah felt that pressure too, and God said, don't walk in the way of this people. They were also God's people though, but they were very decadent, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear or your respect. Let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Again, American culture, you know, we watch TV, we, we listen to the news, we watch movies, and then all of a sudden we're confronted with the Scripture. And it's a, it's a learning curve because it's like, a, it's like getting cold water thrown in your face. What did I just read? What, what, what's going on here? Are there parallels to me and this society? Yes, there are. Four out of six is God is warning His own people. You see, God doesn't play favorites. And, 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 and I've, I've been asked this question, well, isn't, isn't it playing favorites saying God's chosen people? He chose a people to represent Him and to take His word to the surrounding nations. But when they were dis- misbehaving, He also disciplined them. He doesn't play favorites. That's what I love about God. He treats everyone equally. And, and Isaiah was saying, listen, God is not happy with this rebellious culture. We'll put up another scripture, 1 Peter 4.17. This again is the New Testament. Peter says, for the time has come for judgment, discipline, correction, conviction, to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? God has to purify his people. And Isaiah was letting everybody have it. He wasn't politically correct. He wasn't jumping in with the pro-Assyrian leadership. Again, a lot of people didn't like Isaiah, including his own people. You know, Some would say, well, he's going negative. But he and we shouldn't be afraid to call out disturbing trends within the body of Christ. Right? I mean, how is God going to use us if he doesn't sift us, if he doesn't uh, discipline us, if he doesn't correct us, how is he going to use us to represent him as his vessels if he's not dealing with us? And he had to deal that way thus with the people back then. Verse 13 through 15 in a nutshell is that everyone has a choice on this planet to trust in man or to trust in God. To come to God 
in humility and in faith and have him be our sanctuary and trust or come to God in rebellion and antagonism, which much of the world is doing, and to stumble and to be broken. And we live in a very broken society. We live in a very broken society. But it doesn't have to be that way. Matthew 21, 44, Jesus said this in the New Testament, speaking about himself, whoever falls on this stone, meaning himself, will be broken. And when I came to Christ, I was broken too. God was like, he didn't say it specifically word for word, but he basically was saying to me, you're, you're a, a messy lump of clay with all these sharp edges. I got to do something here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when you come to Christ, you come open-minded. What do you want to do with me, Lord? How do you want to change me? What course do you want to set me on? You know, well, if, we, if we say we're coming to Christ, but we're saying, don't touch me, don't go in this closet, don't do this, I just want to get into your heaven, that's not really coming to Christ. You know, And we can do that too. We can come to church and we can feel convicted in church and the other six days do whatever we want. But that's not really getting it. The Word is supposed to change us from the inside. So Jesus said, whomever falls on this stone, and refer, stone referring to himself will be broken, but whomever it falls will be ground to powder. Again, we come to Jesus one of two ways. Worshiping him, adoration, or obligation. And that's later in the judgment. Philippians 2, 10 through 11, our last um, parallel scripture for the morning. Philippians 2. Actually, I'll start with verse 9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now, many in this church have already bowed. We've already taken, you want to take a knee? Take a knee for Jesus. Bow to the Lord Jesus. Honor Him. Humble yourself before Him. That every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day hasn't come yet. Some do it willingly, like many, many this morning. But there will come a time where it will be obligatory. Christ will say, that's it. No more man rule. Enough of the sin, enough of the wars. He comes, he establishes his kingdom, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. He came the first time to redeem our, our souls, to revive our spirit. He's going to come the second time to fix the, the creation, the external part of it. Uh, and, and that's why a lot, of, a lot of people rejected him the first time, because they thought it was going to be all kind of happening at the same time. Jesus was going to ride in on a horse. He was going to start slaughtering Romans. And they were like, well, if you're not going to do that, we don't want you. What Jesus did was he came the first time to transform us from the inside. Now, there's a, a pending issue. The mess that humankind through sin have made of his creation. There's a little bit of a pending issue that he's going to come back and deal with. So we're kind of in the middle of those two dispensations. Christ already came to die for our sins. He's going to come back to restore his kingdom. And then it's going to be real nice. <laughs> so um, no more of these issues. That's, that's what's going to be. Verse 16, 5 out of 6, verse 16, it says, Bind up the testimony. Wrap it up. <laughs> Pack it up. Seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord, who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Here am I, 
and the children whom the Lord has given me, Shir Jashub and Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> we like that name. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Five out of six, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Right? And it's the same thing with us. We, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and maybe sometimes we don't fully understand it. But who knows? A few days later, we could be driving in our car and God gives us a revelation. Well, that's what that meant. Oh, wow, that's so awesome, Lord. Thank you for that. Wait on the Lord. Now, in this situation, God respects himself. He's done this through prophets, male prophets, female prophets. He did this through trials. He did this through blessings. So many ways to reach his people. And at some point, he stops and he's quiet. And his people need to listen to him. He goes silent. There's actually a period of 400 years of prophetic silence between the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and John the Baptist. You know, and then there were these apocryphal books written in, in the interim. And it's funny because Maccabees was written. And 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Maccabees, good history, secular history. But the author in 1st Maccabees goes, uh, at this time, no one heard from the Lord. There were no prophets in the area. What is he saying? Um, this isn't God's word. And people say, oh, Maccabees. You know, we have to know. We don't have to because the guy himself who wrote Maccabees said, I'm not a prophet. You know, again. So there was this, this period of prophetic silence. And what happened was those that were going to listen, listened. And those that were, were not going to, did not. And society got worse and worse. But the believers were comforted in knowing that God had it under control. Okay? Verse 18. He speaks about his, his children. Again, Maher shalal hashbaz, speed the spoil, hasten the prey. So even though God was silent, every time he called his kid's name, the people in the area would realize whenever he traveled, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We have to trust God. Shir jashub meant a remnant shall return. It's going to be okay. Even if we see things start to crumble, there's going to be a remnant. And folks, are we the remnant in our culture? Because, you know, the media sets the tone. This is what you should think about this. These are the people that you shouldn't like. You know, they, they do that. The division game. We shouldn't be following that. We should be setting our own pace. What is society saying? But what does the Word say? What is God saying? Let's not be those sheep that take the wide road that leads to destruction. You know, because society is just, it's like the, the tail wagging the dog. You know, somebody, some pundit on TV says something, people follow it. And sometimes Christians do too, and it's kind of sad to watch. We need to be a remnant. We know what a remnant means? There's going to be few of us. <laughs> That's what that means. You know, your peer groups may shun you. Family members may shun you. Um, other Christians may shun you. But this happened to Isaiah. Why should we think that we're any better? Isaiah's, Isaiah's name meant, now look, at, here's dad, Isaiah's name meant salvation is of the Lord. Oh, they're invading. Oh, everyone's so decadent. Oh, salvation is of the Lord. Oh, look, here comes salvation. of. Uh, not that he was that, but his name represented who God was. Salvation is of the Lord. Okay, okay. And, and we do this sometimes too. We get, if we get fearful, what do we hold on to? Salvation is of the Lord. That's great. We keep that. We brainwash ourselves in a good way to what the scripture says. Trust in the Lord. You know, and I find older Christians who've been through a lot of trials, they're like, they're like an immovable rock. Those are the people I want to hang out with. Nothing moves them. 
and, 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 they, and they have joy on their faces, even through trials. It's available to us as well. Verse 19, last few verses. And when they say to you, now remember, God is, is silent. Okay, his, uh, Isaiah, is, he's packed up the prophecies. It's out there. You, you see the name of my kids. It speaks about his disciples. Um, you know, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Discipleship was nothing new. Um, so the Old Testament prophets had faithful men and women that helped them out and do ministry. I mean, it was a pretty good operation for back then. Uh, so everything's packed up. And the people want, want to hear something, though. So let's, let's watch this. He says, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards, witches, necromancers, who whisper and mutter, Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Departed saints, departed loved ones. It happens today. Some of it's big business. They're making a lot of money doing this stuff. It was actually funny. One of the, I don't want to say the name, but one of the major um, supposed mediums, they, they can see everything. The title was, They Didn't See It Coming. They ended up getting raided by the federal government for... Um, were doing some things they shouldn't have been doing. And they were surprised. You're a medium. You should have known that they were going to knock on your door tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? No knock warrant. <laughs> you know? But they didn't see it coming. Some of them are frauds. The scary ones are the ones that know everything about your life. Because if they don't give glory to God, where are they getting their information from? Not a, not a good idea to hang out with that kind of thing. Verse 20, to the law. So he says, seek the, or should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Of course not. To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Now, this, these aren't the ones that are trusting in the Lord. Understand that. But six out of six is is alternative spiritual sources. This is the fake news of the spiritual realm, okay? Don't go to these people. Um, King Saul, if you remember in the Old Testament, Samuel the prophet died. He had an interesting relationship with Samuel. Samuel dies. Saul's a very stubborn person. He's not hearing from God. He's not a godly man. So who does he, he look for? The witch of Endor or the medium of Endor. And, he's, and he says, you know, and it's, it was really bizarre for him now to look for answers in demonic places. And, and here's the bottom line. People do it today. And it, on a lesser level, it's called counsel shopping. What does the Bible say? No, I don't like that. Go to the pastor. What does the pastor say? No, I didn't like that advice. Let me find an elder. Hey, um, this is the situation, acting like they didn't talk to anybody or didn't read anything. And this is, this is my life. What do you think? Ah. Uh, Gave the same answer. So what the person does is they just keep going through different people until they find something that's going to justify their lifestyle or their situation. It's counsel shopping. The people didn't like what Isaiah had to say. They didn't like God's word. So what did they do? They, they really went down. They started looking for mediums and wizards and witches and things to that nature. Very sad. Even today, you know, do we read the Bible? Do we pray? Or do we even look for like departed saints? Go to the source. Don't try to understand the living, right, by the dead. They're gone. Go seek the source. 
Sadly, today, there are Christians that seek um, popular mediums, a lot of popular mediums out there. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, What fellowship has light with darkness? Others glorify the dead. They glorify shows that glorify the dead. They're addicted to it. They want to be scared. They want to be frightened. They want to see horror movies. They want to see things that are just not edifying. What fellowship has darkness with light? Verse 20, he says, to the law and the testimony. In other words, always go to God's word. And he says, if they don't speak according to God's word, there is no light in them. And you might find the ministry that is um, really exciting and there's loud music and there's you know, a light show and a very charismatic preacher, but they don't use the word at all. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, I got this feeling. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. Was the word used? No. He said this, though. It kind of goes against what the Scripture says. You can feel the hairs on the back of your neck all day long. That is a physical feeling. It says that if they don't go according to God's Word, there is no light in them. But he's really good-looking, and he's really eloquent, and he really made me feel good when I left the church. It's nice. It's a feeling. Don't trust your feelings. You know what I'm saying? Go to God's Word. Pray. Seek the Lord on your own. He will answer your prayers. Verse 21 and 22, this is a picture of a person who, again, they, they, they discarded God. They don't want the word. They don't want the prophecies. Um, they're looking all over for their answers, maybe going to these mediums. And you know what they are? They're, they're depressed. They curse the king. They curse the God. They're just very negative. They're miserable. I won't go into detail, but I'll tell you a story about I work with a lot of people. I work with people that are, you know, even into crazy stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll try to reach anybody. Working with someone who, who had a, a, a small interest, curiosity in God's Word and Jesus and stuff, and I was trying to bring him over to the, to the light, you know. But he kept dabbling in um, polytheism and um, strange phenomena, and he kind of did this thing. And he, he's, his talking was getting stranger and stranger. At one point, he got committed. He, he got into some really crazy stuff, and it, it fried his brain, you know, and he ended up, they had to take him forcibly. He couldn't take care of himself anymore. I don't know where he is now. I'm always willing to work with the guy, but he was choosing alternative spiritual sources, and everything, the house of cards fell. It just came crashing down. You wonder why, folks, that I'm, I'm up here and, um, you know, being a pastor really is not always easy. It, actually, probably none of it's easy. But I, I just have an appreciation for the Lord. Why do I do what I do? Why do the pastors and their wives and elders and people who serve do what they do? I can only speak for myself. When I was young, I got involved with a lot of things I shouldn't have alcohol right away. I mean, blackouts, the whole thing. Um, I got involved with curiosity about like, like even like the, the, you know, Ouija boards and stuff like that. That stuff is creepy. I look back and I am thankful that I didn't get completely sucked in. Listen, if you want to talk about somebody who did the dumbest things and dabbled in, I'm not, I'm not sitting up here as I have dominance over you. I'm not sitting up here that I'm better than you. I'm thankful because I was playing with fire. 
And I got burned a few times spiritually, but it didn't overtake me. God pulled me out at just the right moment. I am forever grateful to Him. Want to know why I do what I do? That's the reason. You know? And warning is love. God is warning His people here. You know, it's, it is, there's, like there's physical laws of the universe, there's spiritual laws. You do certain things, eventually you're going to be in a trap you can't get yourself out of. And again, it goes back to that conversation with the sister and the Lord. A lot of this is warning, please, children, please don't do this. Please don't get involved with that. You're going to hurt yourself. Don't make alliances with these people. They're going to turn on you. They're bloodthirsty. Eh, we can do what we want. And that's the culture we live in, folks. And, and Christians, a lot of Christians are negatively influenced by it. Here's the good news. Jesus died for our sins. Gee, all the stupid things that I did, all the ungodly things, he died for my sins. He truly accepted me for who I am. And over time, he changed me. And I'm a work of pro in progress. He saves us. He forgives us. He restores us. He restructures us. Honestly, folks, the, the insane things that I would think of and do, he restructured even my mind so that I have peace and I have joy. And I look back like my old life, it reminds me of somebody that I saw in a movie. I don't know who that person is. And I don't know how that person got here. It's by the grace of God. He gives us life. He gives us life more abundantly. And that's the good news in all this. And folks, he warns us. In our culture, we're so rebellious, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. We've rebelled against all forms of authority in American culture. And that's why to some, it's hard for them to apply themselves to the word, but he does it for our own good. You know, watch TV, watch the news, and you tell me what's so great about our culture. I would just ask you, are you going to trust man or are you going to trust Emmanuel? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.